Matthew, Matthew 13, verses 24 to 43. Hear the word of the Lord. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the wheats first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. When we moved back three years this day from Mexico to the United States, we left our house there that had a little bit of a yard around it, and we moved into a townhouse. And we were sitting in our townhouse condominium the other day talking about the benefits and drawbacks of living in a townhouse. But one of the things I immediately said about a benefit of living in a townhouse was no more yard work. No more yard work. Now, uh, yard work, I understand that some people like it, and I get some pleasure out of yard work. I understand the, the pleasure of fresh-cut grass. I understand the, the, the joy of a fruitful tree. I understand uh, the, the delight in seeing a hedge well-trimmed. I, I understand the, the, the happiness that, that flowers give. But there are certain nuisances that always attend yard work. And one of those is universal. There are weeds. Now, we have another one in Florida that has become a problem in the last uh, couple decades, and those are iguanas. But, uh, but weeds are universal. Uh, you plant good plants, and what comes up? 
Weeds. No matter how hard you try, there are always weeds. And there's nothing fun about weeding. And so I don't miss weeding. Everybody knows about weeds. Even if we grow up in cities, we know about weeds. Weeds come through the cracks in the sidewalk in the city. Weeds are everywhere. And so, Jesus, as he does in all of his parables, told a story that does not require any technical knowledge. Anyone who knows anything about plants knows that there are weeds. And so, he told a story about weeds. Now, once again, he told a story that he didn't explain to the multitudes. He just told a story about the seeds and weeds, and then he left, and he didn't explain it. Later on, just like in the parable of the soil that we saw last week, later on, some of them got an explanation, and we get to sit in on that explanation that a few of them got. But he just told the story to the multitudes and left it at that. Now, this parable about the weeds, is unique to Matthew. It's not in Mark or Luke. And it comes in Matthew right after the parable of the soils, the parable of the sower. And it has some similarities with that that earlier parable, doesn't it? It talks about sowing. It talks about sowing seed. It talks about plants coming up. It talks about plants bearing fruit or bearing grain. But there's a difference here, a significant difference, and that is, in the first one, all the seed was good seed. All of it was good. But in this one, there are two types of seeds. There is good seed, and there is weed seed. Now, it is most likely a plant card called darnel. Now, darnel is a plant that looks very much like wheat until it produces grain. So when it sprouts, it looks like wheat. When it, when it produces its stock, it looks like wheat. But when it produces its grain, then you know that it's darnel. And darnel is a poisonous seed. And so this was a particularly good way for an enemy to ruin the crops of his enemy. And that's, that's what this is playing on here. And so what happens, as you see, is that this man plants seed, uh, his workers plant it, and then they see when it begins to produce grain, they see that there's darnel mixed in. And they say, well, don't you want us to go and rip up the darnel and get it out and weed uh, the, the, the fields? And he says, you can't do that because by that time, the roots have become so intertwined that if you rip up the darnel, then you will also destroy the wheat plants. And so the owner of the land says, the only thing to do is this. It's tedious, it's difficult, but you have to wait till the harvest. And when the harvest comes, then you can separate it. And first take the weeds and gather them all up and burn them up, and then take the wheat and harvest the wheat and store the grain in my barns. Now that's the story. Nothing complicated about that story. And Jesus then left it with the people. He did not explain the story to them, leaving them scratching their heads and saying, So? What, what's the point of that? What we're going to do is take it a little bit out of order, because we've already talked about this parable. Now we're going to sit in on the private conversation, because once again, later on, in the house, some people who heard this story go to Jesus and they say, We didn't get that. 
would you explain that? So not even those who were close to him understood what the point was, what the, the bigger lesson was, what the bigger idea. Look at verse 18. It says here, I'm sorry, verse, uh, I went back to the, the earlier parable. Look at verse 36, rather. It says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And then he did something interesting. He gave a fairly detailed description of many of the elements. He said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And this is, this is quite remarkable that he gave us so much detail about many of these elements. But he didn't explain them all. Not all of the elements are explained. He didn't say who the workers are, what they represent. He didn't say what the sleeping represented. He didn't uh, talk about what, he didn't explain exactly what the burning up was and the, the gathering into the barn. So there was, there were still some details that he left unexplained. But significantly, and I want you to see the difference between this and last week. Significantly, he was more specific about the main character. Last week, in the parable of the soils, he left out a huge detail. He didn't tell us who the sower was. And by not explaining that that main detail of the story, he was hinting, he was gesturing at the secret of the kingdom. If we can figure out who that is, then we can have the secret to understand not only that parable, but all of the parables. And here, he gives us more information. Look at what he says about the sower. Verse 37, The one who sows the good seed is, what's he say here? The Son of Man. So now we know it's the Son of Man. But that title is enigmatic in and of itself. What does the Son of Man mean? Who is the Son of Man? Now we know in the Gospels that this was Jesus' favorite self-designation. This was his favorite title to speak about himself, but in the third person. Speaking about himself as the Son of Man. Okay, so we know he's pointing to himself, but what's this title mean? Because it's a very vague title in and of itself. Son of Man can simply mean human. And we find that in Scripture. Uh, when we go to the, uh, the prophecy of Ezekiel, God refers to Ezekiel as Son of Man. That is, human. And we see that it can be that, that vague or that, that general, that it's a human, it's somebody that's, that's born of, of man and woman. In addition, however, there is this mysterious character in the prophecy of Daniel, and we're going to look at this. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And he's already had a vision earlier in the chapter of someone he calls the Ancient of Days. And it says that uh, it's not in the text that's up here, but earlier it says, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now in this verse, uh, getting to uh, verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son 
of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So there was this mysterious figure from the Old Testament to whom the Ancient of Days, obviously being God, to whom God was going to give a kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that would be universal, a kingdom that would dominate over the entire world and include all nations and peoples and and languages and tribes. And so when Jesus uses this term, it has this range. It can simply mean human, but it can also be gesturing at the one to whom God would be giving an eternal and universal kingdom. So we see again, as we saw last week, and we see more explicitly in this explanation, that the secret of the kingdom is that Jesus is the King. And once again we say, that's so obvious. But once again we recognize it's obvious to us because we have the cheat sheet. We get to sit in on the private conversation. It was not obvious to those who heard, and it was not obvious even to the disciples. That's why they had to go and say, we didn't get that. Would you explain it to us? This is the key to understanding all of the parables. The parables are about Jesus. And Jesus is the King, and He's the one to whom God is giving the kingdom. He is the one who is going to rule over a universal and eternal kingdom. If we have that knowledge, then we can understand all of the parables. Now, getting back to the parable, as he goes on to describe the harvest, he says that what happens is that at the end of the age, God would send forth His angels, and they would gather out of His kingdom, now this is interesting, in verse 41, just a little detail, it says, His kingdom. And here, His kingdom refers to Jesus, the Son of Man's kingdom. And so there is this this, uh, conflation between the kingdom of God, also called the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of Jesus, putting Jesus in place of God. Very subtle here, but but it's uh, we could easily miss that, but it's saying His kingdom, the Son's kingdom. And it says that He will weed out, if you were, weed out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. That's a place of, of torment. It's a place of punishment because it says there that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and then the gathering of the others into the barns. He says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So what He's saying is there will be, in the end, a separation. But in the meantime, in this world, these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the Son and the kingdom of the evil one, will coexist. Now, that might be something that's obvious to us, because we're used to that idea. But it was not obvious to those who read the Old Testament prophets, and it was not obvious to those who heard John the Baptist preach. If you look at what was coming from the perspective of the Old Testament, it looked like it was very simple. God was going to bring in His kingdom, and immediately He was going to punish evildoers, and He was going to, uh, to gather together the righteous. Immediately. And John the Baptist, 
He preached that way. He gave that, that impression. If you go back to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, um, he was quite a, a fiery preacher, this John the Baptist, and he said that he used some of this same imagery. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 3, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's how John preached. And then Jesus showed up. And so... If he was the one to whom John was pointing, the expectation was what? The judgment was going to come immediately. Immediately. But guess what? It didn't. It didn't. Did something go wrong? What happened? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives this parable. But if you go back... A little while, a little bit, John the Baptist was wondering what was going on in chapter 11. John the Baptist is in prison, he's about to be beheaded, and he's wondering what happened. And he sends messengers to Jesus, and they say, are you the one that we are expecting, or, or is there someone else? Did, did we get this wrong? Are we confused about what was going to happen because, because the judgment hasn't come? And Jesus, did some miracles of mercy, of healing. And he sent the messengers back and said, go tell John what you saw. This was a surprise. It was a surprise to John. It was a surprise to the Jews. It was a surprise to everyone. This wasn't the king that they were expecting. They were expecting the king to come and to conquer and to cast out those those hated Romans and establish another kingdom like David had, like Solomon had. That's what they were looking for. But it didn't happen. The sinners were not crushed immediately. But rather, this, this one, this Son of Man, came, and rather than, than crushing the sinners and casting them into, into the outer darkness, He spent time with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He was accused of being one of them. He was so close to them. He received the baptism that sinners received. He identified Himself with sinners. And then finally, He died for them. You see, the King came and instead of crushing sinners, He was crushed for sinners. This is the great surprise. And this is what this parable is pointing to. It's saying that yes, the judgment is coming, but it's being delayed in one sense. In another sense, the judgment was already poured out in the time of Jesus. But the surprise was this, that the judgment was poured out not on the sinners, not on the lawbreakers, but on Jesus, the substitute. The one who stood in the place of sinners who placed their trust in Him. But the parable indicates that there would be a separation between that first coming and the final judgment. But that it would be merely postponed, but not denied. And so there is a warning here, but there is also an invitation. 
There is a, a reprieve, if you were. There is a, a gap. There is an opportunity. There is a possibility that wasn't contemplated in the time of the Old Testament. It wasn't, wasn't contemplated in the preaching of John the Baptist. This is the, the surprise here. And it's a gracious surprise. It's a new surprise. It's a glorious surprise. Why? Because it gives us another chance. It gives us another opportunity. And that's exactly what Peter said. You see, there were those, and there are those, who say, come on, you Christians have been waiting for Jesus to come back. You've been talking about this day of judgment for so long, and it just hasn't happened. And here you are, 2,000 years later. And you keep talking about this. Why don't you just give it up? Just recognize that this isn't going to happen. Now, that was people were already talking about that in, in Peter's day, in the first century, saying, where is this anyway? You say this is happening. You, you talk about this, this judgment. You talk about this coming again. It's not happened yet. It's not going to happen. And Peter has an answer for that. He says, backing up, it's not on here, but backing up, it says one verse, it says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So how many days have transpired so far? Two. Just two. But then he says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. And then he talks about the day of the Lord will come like a thief. But do you see what he's saying there? Why hasn't it happened yet? Because he is being patient with us. He's being patient with us. He is giving us an opportunity to enter into that kingdom. He is giving us an opportunity to have our judgment placed on Jesus. He's giving us the opportunity to be forgiven for our sins by trusting in Christ and what He did on the cross for us. He's leaving the door of salvation open yet a little longer so that more might come in. This is for our benefit. We ought not to despise the patience of the Lord because the patience of the Lord means our salvation. And so we ought rather to take advantage of the fact that He has delayed and enter now through faith in Jesus. That when that day comes, we might be prepared. Because we all are lawbreakers. We all are lawbreakers. Jesus is the only law keeper, but Jesus is the one who stands in the place of lawbreakers and takes our punishment for us that we might stand before God in that great day, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what He has done in our place. So enter in now while there is time through faith in Jesus. That's the first parable. The other two are brief and similar. But Matthew places them here between the parable of the weeds and the parable of the weeds explained. Which means that they're related. And these are similar. They are very short. He did not interpret them. And so what we need to do is take what we have learned so far about parables 
in order to try to interpret them, because we don't have an explanation of these anywhere in the New Testament. Both of them use the technique of exaggeration, exaggeration, to indicate that the kingdom starts very, very small and then gets very, very large. And you can see the language here. Smaller than all the seeds. Larger than all the plants. And he talks about, uh, then in the second one, three measures. Three measures of, of uh, flour. That's like 50 or 60 pounds. <laughs> this, this is exaggerated. Housewives, it, it says a housewife is preparing this. It's not a commercial bakery. Housewives didn't prepare 50 or 60 pounds, but that's the point there. He's using exaggerated language to talk about just how, just how small the kingdom started and how large the kingdom will be. Now, both of them contrast the hiddenness, the hiddenness of the kingdom at first with the unavoidable nature of the kingdom later. It would be easy to miss it at the beginning and it will be impossible to miss it later on. You see, that's why many people missed Jesus. He was so hidden. He looked just like one of us. He ate and He drank and He slept and He got tired and He got sick and He, he was, would get worn out and He had to deal with all the, the things that we have to deal with. He, he looked just like one of us, except without sin. But he was, he was easy to miss. This is God's king. This is God's son. It was easy to miss. And then the, the kingdom started with this, this little group of, of fallible disciples that had a tendency not to understand things. And then it began to grow. And grow. And grow. And grow. The differences between the parables are also instructive. The first one emphasizes the growth of the kingdom itself. It's the seed that becomes, it calls it a tree. The mustard, the mustard plant, we would call it a bush, but they're, they're very large. They're large enough for, for birds to make nests. And it emphasizes that this kingdom, the kingdom itself, will get so large that it will cover the earth. And it mentions these birds who make nests. It may be another, a reference to another verse in Daniel, chapter 4, another couple of verses there, where there's this image of a, a kingdom, and the birds are the nations. And it may be indicating that, that the nations, all the nations will take refuge in this, this bush this, that represents the kingdom. The gospel has, in fact, gotten to all the nations but it has not yet gotten to all the peoples. It's not gotten to all the people groups, and so there is much more work to do in getting the message to the ends of the earth. The leaven has a little bit different focus, doesn't it? The, in the first, it's the, the, the kingdom itself that is growing. In the second, it's the kingdom that is infiltrating, and it is getting into everything. It is going to reach like leaven reaches to the ends of the entire mass. The kingdom is going to reach to the ends of the entire earth. Now put all these three together. What's the point? They all point to a delay in the consummation of the kingdom. They point to a small start and a large ending. And why? Well, they're urging Christ's followers. Even in Jesus' own day, 
John the Baptist was struggling with this apparent delay of the coming of the kingdom. And if he was struggling with it, how much more have Christians struggled with this throughout the centuries? And he is urging them through this this Gospel of Matthew and urging us today to be faithful and to be patient. Because the end has only been delayed, it has not been denied. It will come. And in addition to that, the kingdom will grow. The kingdom will grow. All three of these emphasize growth, don't they? The the seeds grew into wheat and they produced grain. Why they do that? That's what wheat seeds do. The mustard seed, it grew and became a mustard plant so big that the birds could nest in its branches. Why did it do that? Because that's what mustard seeds do. It's inherent in them. The leaven, it got to all the parts of this 50 or 60 pounds of mass. Why? Because that's what leaven does. My friends, that's the message for us. The kingdom will grow, and the kingdom will permeate to the ends of the earth, and will include all peoples and languages and tribes and nations. Why? Because that's what the kingdom of God does. And so, this is to tell us to take heart. This is to tell us to take heart. We must be faithful and patient as we work towards our part, whatever that might be, our part, large or small, in extending the borders of the kingdom. The seed must be scattered. The mustard seed must be planted. The leaven must be kneaded into the mass. That is our work. And then the seed does its work. The leaven does its work. The kingdom grows. So we must be faithful to do what God has called us to do here in our time and in our place and trust that God will do what He has promised to do. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we have a little commentary by Matthew stuck in here. These are not directly the words of Jesus in verses 34 and 35. And here we round out our understanding from last week about the purpose of parables. Here, it says, all things, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, we saw two purposes of parables last week. One purpose is to conceal the truth temporarily. Conceal the truth temporarily. And we see that in verse 34. Once again, all these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without parables. He was concealing the truth for a time. We also saw last week that one of the purposes of the parables was to force us to listen well, to force us to hear well. And we see that at the end of verse 43. Once again, that call, that enigmatic call, He who has ears, let him hear. So we saw these two purposes, but now Matthew adds one more purpose. By quoting Psalm 78, which we read earlier in the service, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. By the way, he calls the psalmist a prophet. And so he puts the psalmist 
in the, the role of a prophet, one who declares the will of the Lord, and therefore he puts Jesus in the role of prophet as well. And so what's the purpose here? What is the third purpose? The third purpose is to reveal that which had been hidden. To reveal that which had been hidden. So three purposes of parables. One, to conceal the truth temporarily. Another, to call us to listen carefully. And the third is to reveal that which had been hidden. And this revealing uh, is the counterbalance to the concealing. And we see now that the parables do both of these things. Although they are veiled, although they are uh, mostly unexplained except for us who get to sit in on the, the inner circle, the parables are to bring to God, bring to light God's plan for the ages. That's the ultimate purpose of the parables. And what is God's plan for the ages? Well, we've already mentioned it, but let me summarize. God's plan for the ages is this. It is a rescue mission. And He has determined since before the beginning of time to send His own Son into this world on a rescue mission to become one of us, to live for most of His life in hiddenness, in obscurity, and to live a perfect life, the only one who was not numbered among the lawbreakers. And at the end of that life, to be crucified on a cross in the place of those lawbreakers three days later, to rise from the dead, to ascend into heaven, to take His seat by the Ancient of Days and rule over a kingdom that is expanding and expanding and expanding and will one day cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. That's what has been revealed in Jesus. That's God's plan for the ages. And so... It's time to enter in to this plan of God. It's time to enter in to this this kingdom through faith in Jesus. And if we have already entered into this kingdom through faith in Jesus, it is time to be about the work of the kingdom, doing whatever God has placed in our path to get the borders of the kingdom extended a little bit more, knowing that the kingdom will grow. Why? That's what the kingdom of God does. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for these wonderful parables that Jesus told. And now we see more of the purpose of the parables to conceal, to call, to hear, to reveal. And we, we hear a bit more of what You're revealing, this great plan of the Son of Man, the King, receiving a universal kingdom. And we thank You, O God. We thank You that You have delayed the the consummation, the completion of the kingdom, so that we could enter in. And we pray, O God, that You would enable all in the hearing of my voice today to enter in through Jesus, through faith in Him. And that through us, many others would enter into Your kingdom and experience the salvation that only Jesus can give. And we pray for us, O God, as we're laboring in this, this church plant, and we pray for our brothers and sisters that are laboring in, in Gothic cathedrals or in huts and fields, wherever it might be, as they preach the kingdom, preach the message of the gospel, and pray and work and, and wait. We pray, O oh God, that You would enable us all to be faithful, and that we would be patient, and that we would be hopeful, because Your kingdom has come, Your kingdom is coming, and Your kingdom will come. 
because that's what your kingdom does. And we pray this in the name of the King Jesus. Amen.